Well, good morning. Glad you're here. If you're looking for seats, we've got some up front, which I know is always uh, the prized possession in the room. Uh, but uh, if you've been with us this summer, you know that we've been in a series on the Psalms called Soul Cry, exploring different emotions that we experience uh, in our lives and uh, to know that we're not alone in those emotions. And if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at uh, how the Psalms are the language of the soul, that uh, 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 John Calvin, who was a theologian long ago, said that there's no emotion that we experience that isn't explored or expressed in the Psalms. And it is our guide for our pilgrimage in our journey through life. And they show us, they give me permission, as we talked to maybe a month ago, that we don't have to pray nice prayers. That we actually have permission to pray raw and honest prayers. And that honest prayers are more important than, than nice prayers. And two weeks ago, Doug taught on lament and how we can actually express in the midst of the confusion and the hurt and the God, where are you? That there's freedom in that. Uh, in the midst of being honest with God and who He is and yet still knowing that He's out there somewhere. Someone used the analogy that uh, it's kind of like a mountain range and on a foggy day it's easy to think, well, there's no mountains. I can't see them. They're nowhere to be found. And so the next day, the fog rolls away and you go, oh, it was right there all along. I had no idea. And uh, so here's what I'd like for us to do. I I really want this morning, as we've uh, done before, is to be interactive. And uh, the last thing I want to do is just talk information at you. I want us to interact like a family does. And so I want to, for those of us who've uh, been here this summer looking at the Psalms, I want us to explore these questions. We can put this slide up here, Casey. Uh, What have you learned thus far through the Psalms? Uh, what is most startling about the Psalms for you and why? And what's most comforting? And uh, take any, any one of those. But let's interact around those for a few minutes all together. Uh, normally we break up into smaller groups, but let's have a conversation as a family around some of these. What have you learned thus far or been reminded of uh, thus far as we've looked at the Psalms this summer? This is where you all can talk. <laughs> yeah, it does. Life is hard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, Peggy. Yeah, the honesty came only through relationship. Yeah, who else? How about someone over here? Yes. I'm sorry? God's protection? Okay. Yes, Denise. What's been most startling? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of anger in the Psalms. Yeah. <laughs> not that one. Not that one either. Can't read that one. Somebody help. <laughs> Yeah. 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 
That's great. Yes, Johnny. Like stuff we say and pray in church all the time. Like I pray you bash my heads against the en- you know my the heads of my enemies against the rocks and you know may they give birth to stillborn children and all sorts of other things we pray in church a lot, right? Um, yeah. Now what else is startling? How about what's comforting? What's comforting? The anger part is comforting. Too. <laughs> the anger part is comforting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Liam. Yeah. 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 Yes, again, in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, what's most comforting to me is to know I'm not alone. I think we all need to be reminded that in the midst of our emotion that we're not alone. And, uh, yeah. Well, um, this morning I want to look at an emotion that isn't very fun, uh, but it is a significant and universal one. Uh, It's this idea of shame. (laughs) What, What do we do when we feel shame? And where is God when we feel shame? And... In fact, don't don't worry. We will talk about joy and gratitude later this summer. We've had some real heavy, dark ones. But if we're truthful, oftentimes the dominating emotions aren't always joy and gratitude in our own hearts, are they? Um, but let me be clear about something uh, that, that I want to make sure we're clear, kind of bigger picture stuff. We know there's a lot of heavy and traumatic and complex emotions and even situations of people in this room um, and how it relates to faith. And um, I, there's, there's a lot of complexity of, of faith and medicine and counseling and where does all this mix? Where, where does all this interact together? And I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions... This as we wrestle through some of these complex emotions. If you have any questions, we will just want we just want to invite you to come talk to us, uh, Doug and myself and the other elders. Our primary desire and concern is that you grow in your faith. But the last thing we want to do is to make it overly simplistic for you either. Um, we we don't want that to be the case. And so we know that sometimes medicine and counseling can be helpful in the midst of our faith journey. And so I just want to encourage you all that if you have 
any questions to come talk to us because of the complexity and the significance and the uniqueness of each person's story. I'm grateful there's not a one-size-fits-all, that every human being responds and lives and acts uh, and feels exactly the same way. And so we want to walk with you on that journey, and so we invite you to come talk to us. We want to encourage you and challenge you and walk alongside of you, listen to you, pray with you and for you. Um, but as I said, we're gonna we're gonna look at, at shame this morning, which is actually an emotion that I enjoy talking about, not as a masochist, but as an optimist with experience, and as someone that uh, has felt this myself um, and has experienced great breakthrough in my life in years past because of shame. That that actually was the starting point for a lot of my growth and my intimacy with Christ. And so I, I want to share some of that with you, and I, I'm grateful. I, it was a great discussion this week with Doug and Johnny and Dennis, and then even later this week with, with Aubrey, Aubrey Dom being experienced with her counseling background and helping me understand it and learn a, a lot of this topic of shame. Um, but, you know, shame is one of the most powerful forces in our lives. Um, if we're not careful, shame can actually be one of the primary drivers of the decisions that we make or the decisions that we don't make. Um, but shame, quite simply, is the, the deep and severe fear of disconnection. Of being utterly disconnected from people around us. And maybe you've lived or you currently live in the bondage uh, because of shame. Uh, the most painful part of shame seems to be those topics that we refuse to address. Maybe those secrets that not even your family, your friends, your spouse, your roommate knows about. Now that molestation that happened as a kid, that DUI, that abortion, that one-night stand, that mistake you made that you'd give anything to have those few moments back that has caused a lot of damage in your life because of it. You know, shame is that terrible fear of being unlovable. Now, shame normally comes out when we failed. It's kind of like the swampland of the soul. And shame says, uh, whispers two things in our, in our hearts. You're not good enough. And who do you think you are? Maybe you can identify that in your own life and heart, even your own narrative. You know, in, in Thailand, the, the, the Thai word for shame is this, to tear one's face off so they appear ugly before friends and family. I don't know about you, but shame sometimes feels exactly like that. It's that searing, it's that painful. And for some of us, it's so deep for us, maybe right now, it's caused deep psychological damage or trauma in your soul. And you don't even know what to do with it. And when shame occurs, we normally respond as humans in one of two ways. The first one is we go into hiding. Right? We mask, we cover, we pretend. You know, Dennis, uh, when we met on Wednesday, Dennis reminded me, you know, shame has been with us since just about the beginning of time. Right? In the garden. There was no sin and therefore there was no shame. They walked around naked, which is like so weird for us to think about. Do you realize that like you're wearing clothes now because of the fall? Right? I mean, like you'd probably turn around and walk back out if we didn't wear clothes today. I hope you would actually turn around and walk out. But you are wearing clothes because of the fall. Because without it, we feel shame. And other people feel shame. And so we hide and we cover, which isn't always a bad thing, but it becomes bad when we say, oh, I need to protect. I'm, fear I'm fearful that you're going to 
dislike me, you're going to reject me. And so what happened was Adam and Eve, when they felt shame after sin entered the world, what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. And ultimately, skins from animals. And we do that too, don't we? We put on fig leaves, and we put on skins, and we, we put on all sorts of masks. You've got a whole set of masks in your closet you put on that may be different than the person next to you. And it may be so good and so well developed that the person next to you doesn't even know you're wearing it right now. And we do it because we're driven by shame. But in addition to hiding and masking and covering and pretending, we also self-medicate. And Johnny mentioned this in our meeting, um, right? There's all sorts of self-medicating ways. It could be humor or alcohol. Video games or pornography. Eating too much or not eating any food at all. Do all sorts of things to, to cover, the, cover that up and, and to respond. These are coping mechanisms that we engage in. And if shame goes unaddressed, it really leaves us susceptible to a staph infection of the soul. We really have to address this issue of shame. And I'm grateful that the Psalms do that, that the psalmist really wants us to lean into this idea of shame. Now, here's the thing about shame. The less you talk about shame, the more you'll feel it. But the more you talk about your shame, the less you'll feel it. And I'm grateful that David and the psalmist actually gives us training wheels to healthily talk about it. And to give us this idea of a grace-based place where we can come with all, in all of our brokenness in a loving community to say, I feel shame. I need your help. I don't know what to do with this. Will you love me anyway with the grace God's shown us? Would you show that to me in the midst of a community called church? That's what we're called to. In fact, shame, you know, shame can be so powerful and can be so controlling in our lives that it isn't just your soul, your body physiologically responds to shame, doesn't it? You may get a red face. You may actually physically want to hide or cover your face, avoid eye contact, your shoulders sag, your heart races, you feel like someone punched you in the gut, you have a knot in your stomach. Your body physically responds to what you're feeling emotionally, especially with this idea of shame. I want to be really clear, though. There is a difference between guilt and shame. You all know this? The difference between what you do and who you are. Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, I, I just did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And we have to understand the difference between those two. Let me ask you this, and... I'm not asking you all to open up and tell us, like, tell us where you feel the greatest shame in your life. Okay? That may be very appropriate, and I hope you have spaces to do that. In a large setting, it, it probably isn't appropriate here this morning to do that. But thinking about shame in general, why is shame so powerful in our lives as humans? Why, 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 do we, why is that? And let's interact a little bit more. Yes, Angela. Yeah, it's really controlling. Yeah. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Caleb. Huh. The perception of others around us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Elaine. Fear of judgment. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fear of judgment, right? Yeah. Yeah, Janice. I'm sorry? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It stunts our growth. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some other, like, when, when you feel shame, 
think more generally, or maybe you think of maybe the last time you felt shame. What, what are those thoughts that run through your head? What are those lies that you're tempted to believe when you feel shame? Yeah, Peggy. A little bit, little bit louder. Huh. Huh. Wow, Scarlet Letter. That was the narrative. This is me now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Denise. Yeah, worthless. Yeah, I asked somebody. I was actually at uh, Princeton Seminary leading a, a, a class there, and uh, and I asked somebody, "What do you do when you feel shame?" And they said, I f- "It feels like an inner end of the world apocalypse." I'm like, what a great description! Someone else said, "My my heart physically hurts." Yeah, Liam. Huh? Yeah. I'm disqualified. I'll never recover. Yeah. What are some ways you avoid shame? Or you try to? I'm sorry? Keeping quiet. Michael. Interesting. Yeah, the psalmist knew a few things about shame. In fact, the psalms are filled with examples of talking about this idea of shame and honor and the desperate cries to God to alleviate or eliminate shame from his life. There are over 50 times where the psalms talk about this idea of shame and honor, this dichotomy. Um, There are multiple phrases of, do not let me be put to shame, right? Maybe you can think through or find... As you read the Psalms, you know, underline and see that. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let, do not let me be disgraced. Well, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 69. It's not a very encouraging um, psalm, but it is one. It is in our Bibles. It is the canon. And we don't want to be a church that just preaches the fun passages. We want to actually explore the whole Bible, uh, which it includes Psalm 69. I'm going to read um, almost the whole thing, not entirely. Um, but I, I want to read this, and I want to—I want you to think about how articulate the psalmist is in describing his shame. He uses some great imagery here. I found myself nodding this week, going, "Yes, yes, yes." I totally, yeah, that's me. So Psalm 69. This is uh, this is his prayer. Save me, O God, for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I cannot find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies tried to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Don't let those who trust in you be ashamed because of me, O Sovereign Lord of Heaven's armies. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O God of Israel, for I endure insults for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. 
Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And when I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of town gossip, and all the drunks sing about me. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor. In your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me. And pull me from these deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me, or the deep waters swallow me, or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and redeem me. Free me from my enemies. You know of my shame, my scorn, and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person could show some pity, if only one could turn and comfort me, but instead they give me poison for food, they offer me sour wine for my thirst, let the bountiful table set before them become a snare and their prosperity become a trap. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and make their bodies shake continually. Pour out your fury on them, consuming them with your burning anger. Let their homes become desolate and their tents become deserted. To the one you have punished, they add insult to injury. They add to the pain of those you have hurt. Pile their sins up high and don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. I am suffering in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. That's a lot of shame. You know, in the West here, our Western mindset, Western civilization, we think a lot about guilt and innocence. That's oftentimes how we think about it. I didn't do that. No, you did that. It's not me. That's your fault. Right? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we think. But in the East, the Eastern mindset is not as much guilt and shame or guilt and innocence as much as it is honor and shame. I don't know if you know this, but in Japan, they have a new prime minister every few months. Why? They have a daily press conference. Some member of the media finds out some dirt in their past, brings it up to them. They feel such shame that they've disgraced their family. They resign, have a new prime minister. And there's this revolving... To, to bring shame in Eastern culture to you and your family is unthinkable. It's unheard of. And as we think about salvation here in the West and forgiveness of sins when our sin is removed because of the work of the cross and we are innocent in the eyes of God, this is significant, absolutely significant in our understanding of what the gospel is and salvation. But in the East, it is much more about honor and shame because it is based in relationship. For them, the gospel, the power of the gospel is that I'm no longer ashamed. There's no longer humiliation in my relationship with God. There's honor there's connection. There's love. There's trust. So what do we learn about uh, shame from this psalm? 
You know, I haven't shared a whole lot about this, and this has been very intentional um, over the last several years, but six years ago when we started to renew, um, it was one of the darkest seasons of my life. Uh, it's coming out of an incredibly painful ministry situation of which uh, my identity was so wrapped up into all of the failure and the hurt and the misunderstanding and the betrayal that I knew I couldn't get out of this on my own. In fact, I knew I couldn't get out of it though I had supportive friends. I actually needed professional help. And I sought that out. And I, I needed to go see a Christian counselor because I, it was, I was just in a... It, Megan and I would call that the, the dark... The dark years for us. And I knew I was deeply hurt and deeply damaged. I had lost 15 pounds out of stress. I wasn't sleeping. Um, it was just a very, very difficult season of my life. And I uh, went to a Christian counselor in the area and was incredibly helpful. And it was in the midst of that shame that God really met me there, but through a lot of crap in the process. And... I went to this counselor and I sat down and, and I, after a few sessions, I said, you know what? I, I realize my biggest fear in life is failure. I fear failure. I'm petrified of it. And he said, okay, let's talk about it. We talked about it for a few sessions and I came back in. Another session, shut the door, sat down on the couch and I said, I was wrong. My biggest fear in life is not failure. It's rejection that comes after I failed. And he said, okay, let's talk about it. A few sessions later, I, uh, I came in, I shut the door, and I said, I was wrong again. My biggest fear in life is not fear, it is not rejection. My biggest fear in life is shame. It happens when I've been rejected, after I've failed. And he said, now you're on to something. Let's really start talking now. And I began to explore how deeply embedded this idea of shame uh, dominated my life and began to say, okay, this failure, rejection, shame train in my heart and mind dominates how I live. I mean, everything from I'm never late. And the reason I'm never late is you can't be mad at me and I won't experience shame when I'm on time. Two bigger, more significant things. And I began to try to say, okay, so in failure and rejection and shame, where is the good news in all of this? Right? Is this just what I'm dealt with? And this, I've got to just deal with it somehow? And, you know, Dr. Phil, think happy thoughts. Is that really how I journey through this? Or is the gospel somehow working in this? And I, I began to look at this and go, well, the, the, the good news of Jesus doesn't, doesn't keep us from failing. In fact, if I sign up to follow Jesus, he says, pick up your cross, I'm actually signing up for more failure. So it doesn't keep me from this, despite what late night religious television tells me. It doesn't rescue me from failing. I don't have a perfect life. It's not my best life now. You know? So where is it? And I realize, you know, psychologists tell you there's sort of that fight or flight mentality, right? Rejection or, or failure happens, so it's, I fight back. Either physically, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Or you make a sarcastic comment about me, I'll make a sarcastic comment about you. You embarrass me in front of the boss, I'll embarrass you in front of the boss. 
You write something nasty about me on Facebook, I'll write something nasty about you on Facebook. Right? Or flight. And it could be I run away. I physically run away. Or, you know what? If that's what's going to happen, I'm never going to mention another comment again in a staff meeting. I'm never going to ask another girl out. I'm never going to open up again with my husband about that issue. And so we run away. Sometimes even through humor. Some of the best comedians are those who are the most deeply wounded people. And they've learned that their coping mechanism to be laughter. Because laughter puts up this front that says, if I make it funny, you laugh, and I get to hide behind that humor. And I said, wait a second, that doesn't sound very gospel-y. Where's the good news in that? Is this really what we're left with? Fight or flight, that's it? I began to say, well, what if, what if there is another option in this? And in that option, what if, what would it look like to actually submit to the Lord in the midst of that? And what does it look like to yield? To say, I'm not going to fight back. And I'm not going to run away. I'm going to have the courage to say, somehow, God, this is excruciating. But somehow in this, I don't know where you are. This does not make sense. I'm very angry about this, but I'm going to remain. I'm going to remain. I'm going to try to figure out where you are in this. And I love the word yield. To me, when I drive and I see a yield sign, it's a very spiritual practice for me. Because what's happening when you yield at a yield sign is you are putting your foot on the brake because someone else has the right of way on your journey. When I'm yielding to God or to other people, I'm putting the foot on the brake of my life because someone else has the right of way on my journey. And when I do that and I'm yielding to Jesus, it means that He has the right of way on my journey. I just don't proceed and do whatever the heck I want to do. I yield to Him and I let Him because He has the right of way on my journey. So what happens if I yield and I'm really willing to listen? And this is where my counselor really helped me navigate this whole failure, rejection, shame train. Because I realized instead of being rejected, I may be rejected by other people, but the God of the universe, in the midst of His grace, accepts me. And instead of being full of shame, He actually sees me as an honored child of the King. And if by Romans 12, the renewing of my mind, this becomes the narrative of which I live, then I live in freedom of what Ken Davis says, we have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. I want to live with nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. And this became the thing that really helped me understand my shame. And to really navigate to understand God's grace... And truthfully, even before all this, I was preaching great sermons about grace. But you know what? It wasn't in my bloodstream. I still struggle to get this in my bloodstream, by the way. Your pastor's pretty screwed up. Your pastor forgets a lot. But to me, this has been incredibly helpful. And by the way, some of you love diagrams. Some of you don't. Some of you say, don't try to quantify my journey with Jesus in a diagram, that's fine. If it's not helpful for you, that's trash it. That's fine. But for me, this has been so helpful. And maybe for you too, that when you're saying, man, other people are rejecting me, what, what is the alternative? Lord, I want to yield to you right now. And I sense the psalmist is one that's trying to yield, even in the midst of the anger and the hurt, right? There's even some fighting and flighting that's happening in there. 
in Psalm 69. But there's a real sense of saying, yeah, but God, somehow, even though it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to put some pithy Christian cliche of $5 answer to million dollar questions. I'm not going to throw a band-aid on this deep wound. But I am going to yield. And I don't know how it all works out, but I've got to throw my hands up in the air and say, God, I don't know how it works out, but I'm going to trust anyway in the uncertainty that you know what you're doing. That you know what you're doing here. Because I'm out of my element. And I found great healing, but it is incredibly painful. And it still is. Six years later, it still is. C.S. Lewis, in, uh, in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, he gives us a glimpse of what healing is. He tells the story of a, a young boy named Eustace. Eustace is this uh, stubborn, selfish boy, and he finds himself on an island. Uh, as it begins to rain, Eustace, he seeks shelter in a cave, and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he feels really strange, and he realizes that he's actually been turned from a boy into a dragon. And... He is scared and he wants to turn back into a boy, but he doesn't know how. And so one evening, Eustace hears the lion Aslan's voice uh, calling out to him, Follow me, follow me. Um, Even though as a dragon he could have eaten any lion, including Aslan, he is still afraid of Aslan. And following Aslan, he finds himself by a pool where he wants to wash his leg that had been wounded, his now dragon leg. But Aslan tells him he must first undress. And using his dragon claws, he desperately tries to scratch and claw himself to shed that dragon skin, much like a snake tries to shed its skin. And three times he claws and he scrapes it off in desperation, but each time he notices that right under that layer of skin is another layer of dragon skin. And the hard, rough scales return, and he realizes that he's incapable of fully ridding himself of these scales that are now on his body. And Aslan tells him, you will have to let me undress you for this to work. And this is what Aslan says. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything else I'd ever felt. Well, he peels the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only that it hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft. When he caught hold of me and he threw me into the water, it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. Healing from shame is possible, but I'm convinced it's one of the most excruciating things to go through. And I'm still in process of that. So think about, Casey, maybe we can put the failure, rejection, shame, the last slide up there again. As you look at this, can you identify yourself in this process somewhere? 
This is more rhetorical, but maybe not. But maybe you say, yeah, I, I'm not even at that lower level. I'm still just hanging out up here at the top. So as you think about this, let me ask you a couple more questions and we'll interact just very briefly here. What would it look like if you lived in the bottom right of that diagram? How would your life look differently if you actually lived as an honored child of the king? And if anyone has the courage to share, I want to pause and allow space for that. Angela. Huh. Yeah, Denise. You could be productive. Huh. 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 So it would free you up to be more accessible. Okay. All right. What else? Yeah, Brian. Great. What else? Yes, Margie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Jess, yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's great. We know in our heads God loves us, right? And how often do we let that get cut off? That valve doesn't actually reach our hearts to the point we actually believe that. Yeah, and when we... Man, imagine if we actually like got that through our bloodstream. You know? You've probably heard before, hurt people hurt people. Right? If we don't deal with this... We don't become that loving, compassionate ambassador. We just now turn around and steward those hurts by hurting other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Leah. It's a rest because yeah. we are living from approval, God's approval instead of for the approval of others. It's not it's not as exhausting trying to keep yeah. the facade. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as exhausting. When we don't have to keep up a facade, it's rest, we're rested. That's great. Let me ask you this, because this isn't just about our individual journey. By the way, I'm convinced that God gives us... Satan's, one of Satan's greatest tools is to isolate you and to use shame against you. So what does God do? He sends the church as a counter to that to provide a place of grace and a community of people around you so you're not isolated. It's God's gift of grace to actually give us each other, right? And so what role... Does, can renew play? And this may be leaning into a little bit of vulnerability here, but remember, it's only when we're vulnerable that we grow anyway. But ro- what role can we play in your journey 
as you try to work from shame to honor, as you try to understand that. A little bit louder, please. Obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Blaine. Dave. We said there will only be one rule. And it's that no perfect people are allowed. Because if it is a place where only perfect people are allowed, we will hide, we will wear masks, we will develop masks, and therefore we will never allow people to see who we really are. And we'll be stuck in the Christian four-letter F word, fine. How are you? I'm fine. You know we never do, stand up and turn to the person next to you and tell them how great you're glad to see them. What if I don't want to see you? You've just told me to lie. I don't want Renew to be a place that reinforces lying. I want, that's why intermission is five, ten minutes long. That there can be space to say, how are you doing? I'm not well. I'm really not well. It takes a lot of courage to lean into that, Right? But we have to be a community where we say no perfect people are allowed. Grace is here. By the way, the caveat to that is it doesn't mean no perfect people are allowed. Therefore, I can just do whatever the heck I want to do. It means we're all on a journey. We're all in a process. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more he requires of us. But we're all in journey together on this. So, yeah, Jen and then I think Dave. And then we'll, yeah. I know 
Yeah, and that's shame. You're right. If we keep it in, we'll just feel more and more shame, you know? And I love that you're now turning around using that shame you felt in high school to turn around and actually help other high school students here and elsewhere say, let's talk about that. Let's bring that to the surface. Not so we can lop your head off, but as a way of saying, let's enter into that together. So, yeah, Dave. Did you have your hand raised? Oh, oh, Cheryl did. I'm sorry. <laughs> both, both of you can share. Both of you. And because Dave was sarcastic and caused Cheryl shame, we'll let Cheryl, Cheryl go first. <laughs> I, was, I was literally sitting here thinking, I need to say this, I need to say this. And then you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got my mind. How do you do that? Is that a spiritual gift? That's <laughs> Cheryl. And I think in a courageous and gracious way, if someone does use the four-letter F word to say, you know what, can you use another word besides fine? How are you really? Imagine if we did that in a gracious way, to not let people off the hook. So, yeah, Dave, did you have something to say? Yeah, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> You always do, so I think my assumption was fair. We've gotten very good at the great efficient at perpetuating those B2B messages of 
For the sake of time, I just I, I want to make sure I end like I hit this point, and we want to make sure we thank our child care, our Renew family, uh, and Renew Kids uh, helpers um, here. But we've talked about shame from our past, and even like how do we work through that in the present? Um, when we talk about shame avoidance, there are coping mechanisms, but the scriptures and the Psalms actually tell us how to avoid shame. There are some shame avoidance opportunities. In fact, one in particular that's available to us. How do we avoid shame? We all crave and long for shame avoidance. And the psalmist tells us how we do that. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, uh, the longest chapter of our Bibles, and the longest prayer recorded in our Bibles. The focus is on God's law, God's Word, God's the Scriptures. And I'm not going to read Psalm 119. It'd be five o'clock before I'd finish. But the, here are just a few a few verses in Psalm 119. Okay, verse four through six. You have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Verse 31. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. 38 to 40. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commands. Renew my life with your goodness. 41 to 46. Lord, give me your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me. Then I can answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak to kings about your laws, and I will not be ashamed. The psalmist says, you want to avoid shame? Stay rooted in God's word. You want to avoid humiliation? Meditate on the scriptures. I find that to be true in my own life. And when I'm focused on me, my shame grows. <laughs> but when I focus on the Lord and I focus on Scripture, I feel honored. And here's the bad news. The bad news about shame is this. It's prevalent. It feels terrible. It's universal. We all feel it. And you probably will all feel it at some point in the future. Maybe even in the next few days. Maybe this afternoon. And if God didn't love us, then you're stuck in your shame. And you're stuck to finding hope in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble. 
But if what God says is true, if God actually loves us like he says he does, if God's ways and his scriptures give life and help relieve and eliminate shame like Psalm 119 tells us, if God really did send his son, if God really did have that son take on our sin and our shame upon himself, then there is good news for everyone. And the good news is this. On that cross, he felt our shame and separation and loneliness and he took it on himself. And he felt that shame and separation and pain so we wouldn't have to. And instead of shame, we are now honored sons and daughters of the King. And to walk into that, not just in our heads, not just with pithy Christian cliche answers, but when we get that into our bloodstreams, then we really really do have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. And what a gift that is. So what is our response to a God like that? Confession and repentance is the entrance exam to life with God. Do you realize what we're doing when we do that? We're admitting we're failures. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without first admitting your shameful ways. So if we're adamant, saying, I'm not going to go there, I didn't do anything wrong. But if we're willing to go there, to know that God's forgiveness is available because of His outlandish love for us, I was with uh, my friend Ruth Graham yesterday, Billy Graham's daughter. I don't know if you know this. She's gone through four marriages. She has two grandchildren born out of wedlock. This is not how Billy Graham's daughter is supposed to live. And yet Ruth is just a steward of God's grace. And she said something. She said, you can't out-sin God's grace. I love that. There's nothing that you can do that will separate you from what God wants to do if you'll let Him. To walk into that, not just with our heads, but into our bloodstreams and to remind others and allow us to remind each other in the midst of this church to say, man, you screwed up, but I love you. I'm not giving up on you. God hasn't given up on me, hasn't given up on you, and I'm not giving up on you either. And it is messy. And we're going to get through this crap together because I'm committed to you. And we're committed to each other because of what Jesus has done. It's why we love taking communion together. Because without it, if we don't represent this, if we, we have to be reminded everything that we do is because of what we do at the community table. God gives favor and blessing and honor to those who trust Him. And our trust in Him leads us to deliverance of our guilt and our shame. This is what uh, Rob Bell said in one of his NUMA videos. But no matter how big our junk is, no matter how much what we've done has impacted the way other people feel about us or how we feel about ourselves. It hasn't changed how God feels about us. God loves us. He always has and always will. And there's nothing that you can do to change that fact. So where is God when you feel ashamed? Right next to you loving you and inviting you in to be his 
honored child. And how do we avoid shame? Psalm 34 says this, Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. And I love this phrase, No shadow of shame will darken their faces. What a promise. Here's, let me wrap up with this. If you don't mind the experience of shame, and if you're indifferent to feelings that come with humiliation, you don't need to focus on God. You really don't. If you actually enjoy and appreciate being humiliated in front of others, then don't worry about God's commands. But if you're trying your hardest to avoid this awful feeling of shame, the psalmist tells us how we do that. We fix our eyes, we fix our attention and our lives on God and His ways. And it's now up to us to respond to that invitation to be loved and accepted by the King of the universe. So, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to allow just a a moment uh, for us to be silent, for God to listen to us and for us to listen to God. I'm going to allow you to respond in whatever way you sense the Holy Spirit is prompting you to respond. And for some of you, that may mean confession. You may say, I've been living in this, and it's time for me to fess up to some shameful ways, stuff even from last night or this week that no one else knows about. Or maybe I, maybe you're saying, I need to respond in gratitude that I actually have someone who's willing to take my shame. And I've assumed that and taken that for granted. I need to just say, thank you, God, that you're willing to enter into this process of moving me from rejection to acceptance and from shame to honor. Thank you. Or maybe you need to pray a prayer of commitment saying, God, I have not been pursuing your ways like I need to. And I really want to recapture that commitment and acknowledge that to you. That I want to be pursuing that. A life that honors you where I have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. So whether it's confession, whether it's gratitude, or whether it's a prayer of commitment to God again, I want to encourage you to do that in these moments of silence. So let's do that now. Lord, we need you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we commit to you. This God that chose to take our shame, who didn't have to, to rescue us from the feelings of imprisonment that comes when we feel that shame inside of us. May we be people that refuse to hide, and we, we may, may we be people that refuse to cope and self-medicate in ways that turn us away from You. And may we be people that are set on You and Your Word, believing that promise that no shadow of shame will cover our faces 
as we pursue you. It's with that that we pray. Amen. Amen.